0: Developers Playlist, a new podcast from GamesIndustry.biz. I'm your host, Rebecca Valentine. This is episode four of our new series. If you've read the site regularly, you might have seen a regular column called Why I Love, in which we enlist folks in the games industry to write a bit about the games that have inspired them and shaped their journey as developers, creators, and game makers. This is an audio spinoff of that idea, where I chat with developers about games that have informed their work. This week, I'm delighted to welcome Chadana Ekenayaka as our guest. He's the co-founder of Outer Loop Games, which released the wonderful Falcon Age last year, and has formerly worked at Uber Entertainment, Gas Powered Games, Shiny Entertainment, Enexus Studios, and Bethesda in various artistic and creative leadership roles. Eka, hi. How's it going?
1: Hi, how are you? Thanks for having me.
0: I'm glad you're here. I'm doing all right. Um, before we get into the games that inspire you, I want to know a bit more about your work. Can you start by telling me how you got your start in games in the first place?
1: Uh, sure. I think as long as I can remember... Growing up, I wanted to get into art and I you know, I grew up doing art, doing art stuff and drawing and painting and stuff. And I remember like in high school, we had a career center, like I think it was maybe sophomore year. I went there and tried to figure out like, well, what could I do as a career in art? And pretty much it's not a good option. Like, <laughs> if you want to make a living being a general artist, painter, illustrator is not a, at least at the time and probably now too with, I don't know this is before Twitter and internet, right? So right, right. this is, uh, is mid 90s. Um, so I was like, well, what else do I like? And I like computer stuff. So I started teaching myself like Photoshop and kind of learning different 3d software. And, and I was like, oh, maybe I can get into making movies. Cause that's, I didn't really think about games as a career. Cause I didn't, I never, I never made the connection that there's actually people that make these things. I just like, I like playing them, you know, like I moved to the States, uh, with my family in Sri Lanka from Sri Lanka when I was eight. So we had an Atari, uh, 2600 and we had an NES and all, you know, had games growing up um like there were, i think a lot of people did but um so i was like well i like doing this stuff i like playing games and I'll, I'll try to get into film so i went to art school in savannah georgia for a little while trying to learn some of that stuff uh, that didn't last that long uh, ran out of money came back home and then uh, a friend of mine were doing architecture work at the time so they're going through architecture school and at that time in mid 90s this is around the dc area um, if you wanted to do Sort of renderings or like show off a building in progress. They would do traditional paintings, so it's like oh, here's wow. what your building's gonna look like, and it was like an acrylic painting or whatever. And my friends, they were they were doing stuff in 3D, like in CAD, which is like a like a architecture program. So they were like charging people to do 3D fly arounds, like imagine like a level in a game, right? But like here's your building, what's gonna look like. So I started working with them, and then we started making. Essentially, started a studio. We didn't know what we were doing. I think I was 19. Um, and we started doing odd work around the D.C. area for like commercials, and uh, and then Bethesda. We sent out a VHS tape to Bethesda because um, we VHS were really tape. Cool. VHS tape demo reel, yeah. Um, so I was doing a lot of the character and animation and like video editing stuff. And Bethesda saw us. They're like, "Oh, these guys are cheap and probably hungry," <laughs> so they, they hired us. Bethesda was much smaller back then. This is yeah. 90, 96, I think. Oh, my
0: what was that
1: doing back then? Um, so it's a game called Battlespire, Elder Scrolls Battle which was after oh, wow. Daggerfall, which was their big like first. Daggerfall was or Arena, sorry Arena Daggerfall. Uh, a couple of smaller titles. There was one called Redguard that I worked on. Yeah. That's where I met Tot, Todd Howard. Uh, so this is '96 or so. So essentially, they hired us to do cutscenes for these games, mm-hmm. and there's like five of us working out of a house, you know, making random stuff. We had no idea, but it was like that one year I did that. I learned everything that I still use today, oh, like wow. how how to do characters and video editing and Photoshop and all that stuff, because we just, I didn't sleep, we just worked around the clock, and like I was, I didn't I didn't know any better, I was yeah. having fun, so they essentially ended up hiring us full-time, um, after we did a couple of cutscene works, like cinematic work for them, and uh, so I started at Bethesda at 20, right before I turned 20, I think, after that, so.
0: Wow, that's awesome so yeah. you, were, you were there for a little while and then you mm-hmm. eventually made your way um you know to you you went around to multiple studios you've worked at a lot of different studios in your career and you've you've worked in art various artistic roles but you've also you know you started taking on more like creative director and artistic director positions what was what was that like
1: yeah so I started with art stuff and then got into like art, art directing and then um and you know the the terms really changed from team to team but I was like when I was shiny, I was an exec producer, which means I ran the team and did the art direction, but also did cinematics and did other stuff. So I like that first year working out of that startup company, I learned I just liked doing the variety of things. So I was kind of drawn to jobs where I get to do lots of different things on different days. um and then i get they got me into design and then uh, did that for a while. So like t- today I do art and design and production so and, and I pay payroll and business, all that stuff too. but yeah.
0: You most recently you uh, co-founded uh, you co-founded co- Outerloop Games. Mm-hmm. You did a game called Falcon Age. Right. Plug Falcon Age for me. <laughs> I, lo- I love Falcon Age. I had a great time with Falcon Age. But you you tell me about it.
1: Yeah, I mean the the big thing with finding Outerloop, which I co-founded with two other folks that I've been working with, three other folks I've been working with for a long time, ten plus years with a couple of them. Um, my goal was also to focus on kind of more diverse stories and things that that I didn't I feel like I, did, I see too much in, in western games in the US and so Falcon Age is about a south asian culture set in a far off colonized planet you're a come, you come from a long line of falcon hunters so you're raising a falcon and you're trying to reclaim your land back as the basic setup um, we did it for VR and non VR so that was that was a challenge and ambitious trying to almost build two games with different control schemes so that came out on PlayStation it's out on Epic Store, Game Store, and then uh, by the time this comes out, it'll be on the Oculus Quest. Yeah.
0: You so you're, you're working on that at the, at the time that we're recording this, you're currently working on that. Is there anything else that you can say about what you're working on right now, or kind of what the future holds for you at Outer Loop?
1: Yeah. So we're we're starting to work on a couple new prototypes, and we have been um, right before COVID COVID hit um, in you know just December, January, we are working on some new stuff and started pitching those around and um at the last dice and i think when i saw you at paxis i was in the middle of like it was weird because i never pitch that early i usually have like a typically you go like i have a big playable demo and have a really specific idea what you're doing and then we go around and try to find some funding or, or find a partner that wants to work with it work with it on with um but in this case, I wanted to try to get an early idea what if if any of the three concepts we had were interesting. So I pitched three ideas early on, and one of them seemed to really resonate. So we decided after uh, February focused on that. So we're right now we're pretty far along on that. We're four or five months in uh, at the time of this recording, and I um, have a pretty good idea what we're working on. It's a it's definitely a cultural story that I'm familiar with. So I, it's, it's really all probably I can say about it. But it's it's a I think people are going to be surprised and. They'll be surprised. It's a follow-up to Falcon Age, but also not surprised based on the type of themes we like to explore. So,
0: oh, that's awesome! I'm really excited about this. I remember when we saw each other at PAX East. You were yeah. you were speaking at um, the investment summit,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: and you yeah. you talked about how you brought. You basically brought three pitches with you, and one of them was, you know, kind of a normal, like fairly standard video game pitch. The second right. one was a little more ambitious, and the third one was really ambitious. And yeah. I can't remember if you, I can't remember when you said this, but at some point, I think you told me or you told a group of people that you were surprised to find that the most ambitious one ended up being the one that a lot of people latched onto.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's ambitious in terms of product, you know, like scale of project, right, but it's right. sort of the the theme and ideas. I thought would be the least interesting, least commercial. Right. You know, thinking about it, sort of what's out there. But then a lot of the, I was surprised actually. The people I was talking to uh, seemed to. I think because it was unique, yeah. They could see the potential, and if we do it, do our job. If we do our jobs well, and we finish the game, and and do that, do you know, check all the boxes, that it could be something uh, that really stands out. And I think that's the hardest part. I think as being an indie developer, even at the scale we're at, thirteen folks right now. Wow. So we're kind of a bigger. I wouldn't. I, w- I wouldn't call ourselves indie because I don't know indie. I always think of like, and this is, this is debatable, right? <laughs> like, small two-person team that's either self-funded or they're doing other jobs and stuff. So we usually, I think, we're independent studio. Um, we typically will pitch projects, get funding for a publisher or a partner, and then we build those games. Um, so we're we're a thirteen-person independent company now, and. Um, certainly like it's been interesting building the team up too because i think also with falcon age i was doing way too many things like i said back to sort of how i got started i like doing a lot of things and sometimes it gets too much <laughs> especially trying to you know have, to have a like we we try not to crunch too much at all I, I had plenty of that uh early in my career and i like seeing my kids and hanging out with my wife and having a life um so, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely ambitious, and, uh, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised that people were willing to take a risk on it. So, we'll see.
0: I'm delighted to hear that. I'm really excited to see whatever it is whenever you were able to say more about it. Cool. Um, so, the focus of this conversation uh, is a game that has inspired you and in your work over the years. Um, and you picked Full Throttle, which, mm-hmm. i got to be honest, uh, feels like the exact opposite of Falcon Age. Um, just from the right. limited, limited amount of information that I have, because I have not played Full Throttle. Um, and maybe some of our listeners haven't either. Uh, Full Throttle is a 1995 PC adventure game from LucasArts uh, designed by none other than Tim Schafer, which I was surprised and delighted to see. Um, yeah. Do you mind giving me like a quick summary of what should, what should everybody know about Full Throttle to kind of understand the conversation we're about to have?
1: So I'll give you some context of when I played it. So, so it came out in 1995. So 1995, I mean, there's a lot of games that had come out at that time, but LucasArts or uh, who, you know, Tim Shaper and the team were, were, this was before Double Fine, right? So he was working on the, so uh, Secret of Monkey Island had come out. LucasArts had a good year. I think that Dark Forces was the first Jedi, first-person Jedi game. It's like a a shooter game. It's called Dark Forces. Um, So before this, I can't remember what the other games now, but, I mean, adventure games sort of, like, have been doing pretty well, and... They were always a little smaller, so we we're talking about like they never broke out into like a million copies sold. It was kind of in a couple hundred thousand. Yeah. And Full Throttle was the thing that really broke out. Like it was. Um. I. I. I, w- I wasn't a huge fan of like a lot of esoteric puzzle designs in these games early on. Like I. I would like mm. there were things that didn't make sense where you're combining uh, elements together in your inventory. So Full Throttle. The reason I liked it is well, let's talk about what it is. It's a story about uh, Ben Throttle, a biker, uh, head of a biker gang. It's not post-apocalyptic, but it kind of people, it's drawn from inspiration for like Road Warrior and the um, yeah. uh, Kurosaw movie Yojimbo. It's about like this lone hero character, not, uh, not many words. Um, it's, in the, it's kind of an alternate future where you have hover limos. and They also have the Crowley Motors, which is the last remaining company that makes bikes for bikers. So Ben is a head of a biker gang called the Polecats, and in the course of the story, without spoiling spoiling it, but too much, but at this point I guess it's twenty five years old. But um, essentially, he gets framed for mur- uh, the head of Carly Motors uh, murder, and so his Polecats uh, get uh, arrested, and he's on the run, and that's the setup essentially. So you have to find out what happened and who framed you, and um, it was the most cinematic point and click adventure game yeah. I had ever seen. I was
0: looking at the screenshots of it. it yeah. Was, it was very, I, so m- it's interesting kind of reaching out to people for this podcast because a lot of the developers that I've talked to, especially the ones who have been in the industry for longer, are picking games that are well, that are a little bit before my time playing games. Yeah. Um, yeah. But this, this was, this seemed like more, I don't know, more, more artistic, more detailed than a lot of the other games from around that era that I've seen bits of.
1: Yeah, I mean, typically it's a fixed screen or a scrolling screen with a character that you click around the screen, right? Like, and the character is fairly small on screen and you moves from scene to scene, and then there's some interaction. This game, um, which I replayed recently, but I was listened to some of the making of, of, of documentaries, and a lot of the reason they picked sort of doing these cinematic close-ups of characters is so they didn't have to animate a character all the way from, like, doing one thing on the screen to going to another. So instead of animating the full character, they would just cut away sightlessly, took a close-up or a reaction, right. um, which gave it a really interesting cinematic mm-hmm. feel, but also allowed them to do more things with it. Um, so it's it's taken, I think the reason I liked it a lot, because I, I have a, I tended to like a lot of filmmaking, and like this is the kind of thing I thought, thought about I wanted to get into, like filmmaking and effects, and mm-hmm. so a lot of film language is, uh, they do a lot of film language sort of like shot selection and pacing and how the how the camera cuts and how the characters are, are you know like interact with each other or the dialogue plays out which i hadn't seen that sort of framing um in other and previous adventure games before full throttle so there was like this really draw which almost it's you know and it's short yeah. like it wasn't it doesn't try too hard to extend out i think it's probably a four-hour game the puzzles are fairly easy you don't have to combine multiple things in your inventory you just pick something out of your inventory and use it in the environment and everything kind of happens in front of you so i think they were trying to um trying to reach out to a bigger audience people that may, normally wouldn't like adventure games because there was like at that time there's adventure games have been around for a while and um there was a sort of a reaction of like oh just another adventure game kind of uh, a feeling where things were kind of transitioning to first-person type shooters like it's like dark forces that come out and doom and things like that so i think the adventure games were kind of waning in popularity so this is sort of an answer to that um so yeah so you play ben you're a biker uh cinematic there are moments where you're like oh the other thing sorry i should mention is so a lot of these games are are drawn are 2d games right so you draw each sprite each frame yeah um they had a couple of folks at LucasArts that came out of Dark Forces, where they would 3D render the same way we do now, but um, they could—they didn't have the technology to really do that well in the in the in the sort of the the detail we have now. So they would render out each frame. So we had these really cinematic sequences where you have a bike chase or a car crash, and those like the, all the vehicles were 3D rendered out. So they could do some interesting angles and rotations without having to hand draw every single one of those things, and they they would combine like hand drawn characters on top of the three D vehicles. I don't know if this makes any sense. But...
0: <laughs> no, it's interesting. I'm actually curious. so um. I mean, this again. This was like a little bit before I was very aware of video games, and I I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to like ask you for your age here, but like no why, no no. How much of this were you aware of when you the very first time you played this game? Like
1: N- none of this. Okay. Because none of this, I had not. 95. So I was a senior in high school.
0: Okay.
1: I don't know what month this came out in, but, um, but anyway, it, oh, April. So it came out in April, I think. Oh, no, April 30th. So I was a senior in high school. I was learning how to do, like, Photoshop and, like, the little 3D stuff like this. But when I played it, I didn't really think about any of that stuff, right? What did I just you knew, think like,
0: about when you first played it?
1: Um, it felt like a movie. Like, it felt like playing, like, I felt like, playing ben throttle as a character um that's the other thing there's the characters were interesting because they were they had depth like ben is his biker but the his voice actor ron conrad um wasn't you'd expect him to be a really gruff yeah, deep yeah. voice and he had that but he wasn't it was a lot more subtle so he had like a like a, a gentleness to him um, and then I've never seen a character like Maureen. Maureen is a character that, that saves you in the beginning of the game. She's a mechanic. Um, she was like an ex-biker. She had a tattoo on her shoulder, like a little hint of it through her overalls. Um, she wasn't a damsel in distress. She felt like another player character, even though you don't play them. And they have this relationship where it's not about romancing her, which is, would be a typical setup, or, or saving her from the bad guys she ends up saving you and then there's like this sort of uh by the end of the game they're they're friends and there's you know there's like oh there's an attraction there but they never actually go there so it's it's really i had never seen a sort of a woman character in, in a game like this that was represented in a way that felt like on equal terms with the guy you're playing Oh wow! so like that's the thing that stood out for me. is like uh, Maureen is her name. Uh, Maureen is awesome. You should play it. You'll love it.
0: I mean, you're you're honestly kind uh, of selling me on it.
1: Because <laughs> typically, like King's Quests and Space Quests, the, yeah. the, sort of like there's always like some damsel in distress or some side character that's like sh- she's a plot device. Where Maureen actually felt like a fleshed out character, and she had her own motivations and her own needs, and um, so she's like the daughter of the Crowley company where her dad got killed. So like she's in, she ends up taking over the company and you know, all this stuff happens. And, um, and it wasn't like a high fantasy story. It wasn't a high sci-fi story. It felt really grounded. Yeah. Which again, as a graphical adventure game at that time, that's not something I, I had seen. Right. So it's a combination of, of sort of the, the, the cinematic techniques, the world, the character depth, um, and the storytelling and not real complex puzzles so you could just kind of play along and i think it, it was starting a trend where games were getting a little shorter which is you know still a debate now it's like what do you pay how, how much do you pay for a game that's four hours long kind of thing but i, I think that's you it's gotten to be less and less but at that time really they would they would the, the puzzle games and adventure games were designed in a way where you had to like if you can't solve it you'd go away for a day and come back and try to solve it again because there's no you know going on the web and finding whatever but you can call a, a hint hotline was the only option and pay money for it but oh my gosh so like this is the kind of game you could play in one one or two sittings and, and fully experience the story um, so yeah there's a lot of reasons why I liked it and that was really
0: <laughs> so you, you I mean you you liked it you liked it because you said you I mean you said it felt like a movie it was mm-hmm. very it was different from a lot of the other Kind of similar genre games you had played at the time. Is this is yeah. the game that you revisited multiple times as you grew grew up, or was it just kind of in the back of your mind? Kind of how how did it sort of sit with you?
1: After I played finished, I think I probably did over a couple of days. Um, I watched the credits and I was like, oh, that's when it really clicked for me that there are people that make these games and there's different roles and like, oh, this. And I was like, I was super inspired. I was like, I got to figure out wait how to how to make games. So I started like looking at like. Oh, wow. I started paying attention to other credits and, um, you know, other games and, and what was out there. And that really got me thinking. So the stuff I was doing in Photoshop and 3d early on, um, and that's right before I went to art school for a little while. And then when I came back, it's like year, a year, later, I was year and a half later I was at Bethesda essentially. So it was, it was really cool to, um, have that transition. Um, but yeah, it's, it really opened up my eyes. of like, Oh, I could, there's there's some of this stuff that I kinda know I think, and I can probably do this, so it kind of starts to change my thinking of like as a career path. yeah, I still didn't know how to get into games' because, <laughs> I don't know this was before internet and right. and and any of this stuff, so it's um uh, I was still on AOL.
0: Right, but yeah. you realize that somebody had yeah. to. You, this thing looked like a movie, and because it looked like a movie, somebody had to have done the 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 moviness of it. Right, like somebody right. had to have, yeah. have made that art and made that animation, made it happen.
1: Yeah, and I started. That's, I think I was also kind of learning more about sort of film techniques then, and that all kind of clicked. Because it's like it's weird. Like now that I recognize, like shot for shot, or you know, film techniques and pacing, and and how to set up a conversation. Now I know kind of the 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 words to use back then I, I didn't make the connection like f- making a film and making this there is some overlap right there's there's a language that we all kind of know by watching and consuming enough movies or, or tv shows that there's a pacing to it and there's a language there and and that was kind of an eye-opening thing too but like okay well there's a way to do this or there's ways way to story tell in different mediums
0: started recording that you just recently played uh, Full Throttle again for the first time, and I think you said 25 years. Uh, yeah. So we can talk about it today. It sounds like it's held up. It, it Has it held up?
1: Oh, yeah. So, sorry, I didn't really answer your first question, which was I, I didn't go back and replay it.
0: Okay.
1: Like, I, te- I tend to not do that with my games. I think for me, especially, that game was, like, the right place, right time, and a very, very specific memorable moment, and uh, I was like, oh, I've, I experienced it I got what I sort of wanted to learn from it, so I didn't revisit it at all. And um, so they remastered it. I think Double Fine got the rights back, or, or somehow they licensed it um, several years ago, I think, or two years ago. Um, so they remastered it from the original um, sort of low graphics look, and so I played it. I went for this, I, went, I was like, I should, I should probably play it again and see if it still holds up and definitely still holds up. Did you play um, the remastered version? I play the remastered, and you can flip between the remastered and regular oh, at any point. It's really neat. Um, so everything is identical, scene for scene. It's just the, the look of it looks a little different, mm-hmm. a little more polished. Um, and they have an audio commentary. Most I, I played with that on. Oh,
0: that's really cool. Did you learn anything yeah. interesting?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of sort of visual design. Peter Chan uh, is someone that's done a lot of games with Tim Schafer back in LucasArts, and then I think Psychonauts and Broken Age... Um, I don't know if he's still working with him, but he he did a lot of the sort of the, the sketches that turned into the screens for um, Full Throttle. So there was a whole art section talking about his work, and I just noticed a lot of, like, world-building build, detail I didn't notice um, about, like, how the, what the world looks like and why it's certain ways. Uh, that was neat. And then some behind-the-scenes stuff of, like, how, you know, Tim named a lot of his characters based on friends he, he knew in elementary school or something. <laughs> Just random things. Um, I, I've gotten to know Tim over the years. So I, I, I think I think it was like, I don't know, five years ago I told him. I was like, hey, you're the, you know, you're the reason I got into making video games. So it's, it, was a, it was really cool. And he, you know, I told him the other, other day, I was like, I'm going to do a podcast soon. I'm going to talk about Full Throttle. He's like, he said I was really honored. So that was cool. It was really neat. Um, yeah, it holds up. There are some gameplay bits that don't hold up as well. It was like biker fights where you're like going down a canyon, and this the controls are a little sluggish with the yeah. frame rate. But I mean, um, yeah, like... <laughs> yeah, it yeah. Happens. Even remastered, the frame rate's still like, you know, it's it's not. They're rendering every whatever ten frames a second, twelve frames a second, so this doesn't feel as smooth. But for a two D game, but it's still mm-hmm. past those moments. The story bits, the framing, the character development, all that stuff holds up really, really well. Voice acting. Um, yeah, they did a good job. Same
0: voice acting all holds up
1: all holds up. They wow. remastered a lot of the VO. Um, so it sounds really clean. The music holds up. Um, surprisingly good.
0: Fascinating. Mm-hmm. So if I were to take a look at your portfolio as a developer, where yeah. would I find hints of full throttle? Where would I see its influence?
1: Um, I think. Falcon Age, for sure. Uh, There's a game called, uh, they call Wayward Sky, um, which was a PSVR title we did in 2016. So I think aesthetically, I would call the retro sci-fi look that Full Throttle has. It, like, everything feels lived in, and there's... Same way that Fallout sort of has this 50s vibe to it yeah um but it's post-apocalyptic right so the conditions are different um uh not necessarily 50s but full throttle has a look where the design of the bikes even though they're like hover limos the shapes of them feel like a throwback to 80s 70s 60s kind of car designs yeah um and i i always like that i think it comes from definitely from full throttle like the influence like that it feels like a real world there's enough variety in terms of like technology that pushed a little future that it feels like a sci-fi but it's not like high i don't know what what they call them, the high fantasy high sci-fi like like a mass effect is um which i guess also star wars has an influence from a lot of those too right like right, yeah. um oh there is a there's a scene at the end it's like a, a it's um a demolition derby and they show like four drivers and one of the drivers they made it look like george lucas <laughs> And I didn't realize it before, but Tim's like, hey, look, that's George Lucas at the end. They're just waving, <laughs> right? Like right before a pod race or whatever, the, yeah. they made him look like George Lucas. Um, yeah, so the, I think the aesthetic of, of that, um, storytelling-wise, I'm always kind of drawn to um, storytelling bits of Falcon Age for sure, but not necessarily like the framing of it, of things, but um, sort of the pacing and how story unfolds. Um, I worked on two Matrix games for console, PS2 era day, days. There was one called Enter the Matrix and the one called Path of Neo, uh, where I was a cinematic lead for that. And So like thinking about film and how, how it translates to games, I think I, I think about Full Throttle and how they did it too. Um, uh, the new game definitely has some more cinematic flair to it. Um, it's a lot more character-driven. I think Full Throttle's... Uh, Made me think about character-driven stories and and, and characters in general, and I've, I'm dr- definitely drawn to character-driven things versus systemic things. Right. Um, I, I mean, I worked on games like Planetary Annihilation, which is uh, you building thousand robot armies to planet and blowing up planet. So it's like yeah. that's not super character-driven, but that was also like uh, at the studio that was doing other projects. And I'm, I'm definitely like. From Wayward Sky to Dino Frontier to Falcon Age to their new project. It's like those are kind of the, you know, characters development type games that I like.
0: Are there any ways in which you are critical of Full Throttle?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, There's some really difficult gameplay bits that didn't. um, I remember them being hard then. And it's still hard now because it's not it's. It's a weird so there's mostly point and click adventure part, right? right? Then there's some moments that are more real time combat. Um and those didn't age as well cuz they're I think we've gotten a lot more precise with combat type game designs since yeah. 25 years ago, you know, take a God of War or you know anything like that, there's like uh there's certain expectations for game feel that we have now that I did I didn't back then. Um I also I only had like one game at a time back then, so I would spend months on it anyway so um I think that 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 hasn't really translated too well, and there's a demolition derby part same thing It's just like like there's no there was an oversimplification simplification of the controls where you're trying to using mouse left and right to move left and right, and it's not very precise um arrow keys to move around it doesn't doesn't have a lot of sort of smoothness to it, and those are I think the weakest part of it um And there's a I I ended up skipping a part when I played it last night. I could not figure out the demolition derby where I had to like hit a particular car, but there's another car blocking me, and I just like so I looked it up, and there's a shortcut key to skip that sequence.
0: Oh, (laughs) it's it's really interesting to hear you talk about this game because, and I mean, maybe I'm kind of being narrow in my vision, but there there doesn't. There doesn't seem to be really any games quite like Full Throttle, what you're describing to me anymore. Like, I mean, the, there's obviously like there's obviously still people making point and click adventures. There's also yeah. people making you know games with motorcycles in them and you know right. you know interesting characters and all these other different things. But the, there's this kind of like very unique combination of ideas that seems to have come together in Full Throttle that I, I don't I couldn't name another title that was like that.
1: No, I don't. I think it's probably a time to hope hope Tim's listening. I hope he does a sequel. <laughs> I don't know who has to to it but i i oh another thing i should mention is i do i am same way i'm uh that i like doing a lot of different things in hybrid approach my game design also is like that like like falcon age is not a first person shooter it's not a first person walking game it's like we have a little bit of combat and there's this bird component um and i'm definitely i'm attracted to game designs that are kind of a hybrid approach which full throttle is definitely is like it's Point-and-click adventure game meets a cinematic, you know, experience meets, like, these real-time combat moments. It's a, There's, like, a, a hodgepodge of things. I think, I'm trying to think another game that's, yeah, you're right. There isn't really a direct co- uh, comparisons, especially at the scale, because I don't think, you know, this feels like a, at the time, a bigger budget indie, uh, point-and-click adventure game. Right. We just don't have those anymore, right? Well... I guess Naughty Dog makes giant adventure games.
0: <laughs> but not but not point and click, right? Like like no, of the, the point no. and click stuff has kind of been relegated to the indie space lately, which is fine. Like I mean, you yeah. know, people are making really good ones, but it's just, you know, that that's where it is right now. Because yeah, and I, I, I th- guess if you're going to dump, you know, a couple I don't know, like, millions of dollars on a video game, you're gonna try to make really realistic looking water or something. Which, right. Again, not I think... again, not a bad thing. It's just yeah, yeah. that's kind of where the I,
1: th- I think it was that was sort of at the time the point and click adventure was sort of the dominant genre, and then it went to FPS games for a long time. Mm-hmm. I will say, Full Throttle was an amazing game. And then I remember when I was at working at Bethesda. I remember when I was playing Grim Grim Fandango, which I came I think came out the next year. Oh wow! I, wow, really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was the next year. I could be wrong. Uh, maybe the year after, but uh, no, it, yeah, pretty sure it's '96. I remember playing that, and then Half-Life 1 came out at the same time. So I picked that up, and I was like maybe three hours into Grim Fandango, started playing Half-Life, and I was playing it with my machine at work, whatever, and I'd, I never went back to Grim Fandango. Like Half-Life <laughs> blew my mind because it was such a departure from any first-person shooter game because there was like a whole storytelling component to it. And so Half-Life definitely killed adventure games for me after that. <laughs> Because I just, I just, and I should go back and play Grim Fandango, but it was like the pacing and just, I don't know, the, it, that completely changed how I thought about games again uh, after Half Life. Um, yeah.
0: The, the thing that you, the thing that. You described, you know, initially note, latching onto and loving about full throttle the sort of like it's like watching a movie, the cinematic kind of thing. Like this, mm-hmm. the cinematic component has definitely moved out of that genre. Like now, when I yes. think about point and click adventures, I do not think about no. cinematic movie like experiences. If I'm thinking about that, the the first thing that comes to mind for me personally is Uncharted Four because I watched my my partner at the time playing that game, and he played he played that game through. I've never picked up a controller and played Uncharted yeah. Four, but yeah. I sat on the couch next to him and watched it, and it was like watching a movie. And those those are two like very different genres, um, but that's kind of where all of those techniques and all of those thoughts sort of moved.
1: I think so too. I think the so sort of the third person action adventure is the more dominant sort of AAA game now. Because I, I just finished uh, Sushima, oh yeah, which I, I absolutely loved. And every yeah. single like the photo mode is so gorgeous. I spent so much time taking photos because every single place you're in there, it's it's gorgeous. Um, and I. I finished the main story, which is a really well done story. And but I think the sort of the the Assassin's Creed, the uh, Tsushima, uh, Uncharted, the third person action adventure game is the dominant sort of form of the cinematic storytelling these days.
0: Yeah, is that sort of the? Do you think that's sort of the thing that you know big big budget game development is sort of chasing? Is just like cinematic storytelling, regardless of genre, like over time.
1: Um. So it's a weird thing is I. Even though full throttle it was like I was drawn to that. I think of game storytelling. Like I don't think I would like to make an Uncharted type game, even if I had the budget or, because or, uh, I think there's, there's a sort of the gameplay part, and then oh, let's watch the story part. And I'm always like interested, especially now, like in you know, ways to combine those things in a in a in a way only are you know how we can do that in games versus film. Um. Yeah. So. Like, I, I, I can't play Last of Us 2 because it's too violent for me. Like, uh, it's yeah, so... Sushima, it's fine. It's violent, but it's, like, cartoony a little bit more. Yeah,
0: yeah. like, I can play uh, Assassin's Creed because, like, it, it's kind of, like, fundamentally ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I don't think the formula has changed too much over the years in terms of, like, do a thing, watch a cutscene. That that's, seems like that's the way. Um, the type, the game that I think about when I think of sort of what's different about games versus film is 30 flights of loving Brandon Chung. Mm. It's a five minute game, 10 minute game. It's $5 on steam, I think, or $2 on steam, whatever it is now. It's, it was an experimental game he made and it, uh, plays with, so I do, I do a lot of of trailer editing. Mm -hmm. Like we do all, do all our trailers for Falcon age and whatever past games. Um, so I think of sort of editing as a technique and 30 flights of loving captures editing the same way film editing works you know in real time let's say I I was walking across an airport you just take your character and hold run and you run across the airport airport and a movie scene that wouldn't that's not interesting right instead of shooting yeah it's it show like close up of a wheel of a the the, the bag you're pushing uh, a shot of your shoulder running into somebody because you're you're in a hurry and then saying something mean to you and then close-up of uh, the ticket being exchanged at the counter because you're late to your you know there's all these wait moments and 30 flights of living does that huh like it starts with like hey a heist gone wrong and you're bleeding and then it cuts to like a section what happened like 10 minutes before and it cuts through the section as you're uh, there's actually walking through an airport that skips past uh, the moments i was talking about um so like that that's really interesting to me that kind of storytelling where there's Brandon Chong has a film film background, but he's using those techniques in a way that can be only done in games. And that's, like, way more fascinating to me than, like, making a standard cutscene. Right. Um, and those are the kind of things I'm chasing, um, trying to do a little bit at a time. It's, just, it's really hard. I mean, storytelling in uh, games are really hard. And I think Half-Life 1 did a really good job. Half-Life 2 did amazing. Half-Life Alex, which is phenomenal. Yeah. Again, like... How do you get a player to pay attention to somebody when they have full control of VR? And, and that's kind of things we explored with Falcon Age and, and also like Wayward Sky before that is like, how do we get? So I, I kind of started thinking about more stage techniques. Like we're at a theater, we're watching a stage play. Right. Like how do you get people to watch? And it's like direction with how the act, actors are, how, they, how they're pose. Uh, their their line of sight what they're pointing at lighting sound effects smoke whatever like you're doing everything you can to get the audience to look in a specific place right and in film it's a little easier because you just frame it in a way that yeah 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 so uh making vr games i'm jumping all over the place making vr games and also first person action games where you have to have the um player point in a certain direction you kind of use a lot of stage techniques to do that and that's really interesting to me
0: I have learned a lot about VR today. <laughs> this is really cool. Actually, I've learned a lot about film today because I'm not a film person. So this is really fascinating. If, to, go, to go back to full throttle, I mean, mm-hmm. if somebody, if, if, I, if I were a person who made games, yeah. which I, I, I am not, um, but if I were and I had never played full throttle, which I have not played, um, yeah. is there any, and I, and I was going to go play full throttle, is there anything that you would tell me to like, specifically look for or think about as I was playing full throttle that would you know, like, sort of guide me as a game developer?
1: Um, I think pay attention to the the pacing of the story and and the number of puzzles between encounters and when the cutscenes happen. and um, the intro is one of the strongest intros of any game I've ever played. Um, it's a vo of he does a lot of time editing. I say he the team does a lot of uh, time editing with like Ben foreshadows uh, a, a, the events that are you don't as a player, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, it cuts right into the way it's sort of, I guess, you, you heard of a movie called Hard Target? Mm-mm. This is something I learned watching. The, I'm watching so
0: sorry, the, I'm, not, like, I'm not, a film person.
1: No, no, it's not really, it's a movie, not a film, because film critics would not, it's, it's a, a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. It was like a Hong Kong style film done in, done in the States. Um, so it's, it's not a very good movie, but I was a huge <laughs> Jean-Claude Van Damme fan, so I just saw it in the theater and Tim talks about it because I think it had just come out when he was making it to Full Throttle. Yeah. I think he mentioned it's probably the only game inspired by Hard Target. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, just the way the so the scene, the first 10 minutes play out is really, I would pay attention to that because um, it's, it's leading you on without necessarily giving you sort of a paint by numbers approach to storytelling. There's like, you, before you see Ben, you hear his voice talking about, uh, I think he's talking about Maureen. He's like, when I think of Maureen, I think of asphalt and death. And then then it, it goes into why, and you haven't even met Maureen yet, right? Like it's yeah. really really interesting. So I would pay attention to how so that intro storytelling bit works. It really grabs you, and uh, that's something that's I think a lot about now and game developers think about is what what is the first ten minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes of the game feels like? Because that pacing is when you have time to to make sure people don't hit pause and go do some play another game. Even though they bought it, it's fine. But, like, we obviously want them to play through. And I'm really interested, after Full Throttle, I think also really interested in making games that people can finish. Mm.
0: Yeah, you see, see those, those uh, you see, like, yeah. based on, like, achievement data and stuff on things like Steam and, you know, PlayStation and other places, right? Like, <clears> people <throat> don't finish games.
1: Yeah, yeah. We have a lot of options. I mean, there's, yeah. at any point on my PC, or I can pull up Netflix, Discord, Twitch, Steam, whatever, right? Like can I'll tab out anytime and go somewhere else, so we definitely got to figure out ways to keep people engaged.
0: Is there anything that you want to talk about in regards to Full Throttle that I did not ask you about?
1: Um, I, w- I wonder what, you know, you say point-and-click isn't really a dominant genre, but I wonder what that would feel like today if, if that game was... if. If they decided to do a sequel, what format it would take.
0: Oh yeah, you're right. They they probably wouldn't make another point and click if they did.
1: No. It'd probably be something more like Brutal Legend or something. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it's really interesting. There's a lot of the through line between Pull Throttle and Brutal Legend in terms of sort of the, the character design and uh, uh, approach uh, and kind of music theme a little bit. But yeah, it'd probably be a third-person action adventure.
0: I don't know. Maybe like a narrative style, like like almost like a telltale style, but with like more exploration maybe.
1: Yeah, I guess Telltale yeah, games. Dialogue yeah,
0: choices that, and stuff. Yeah. And also, like, especially the first season, like the second and third seasons kind of got away from that. Or the Walking Dead, sorry. I started thinking about it, Walking Dead. And, yeah, yeah. But, like, the second and third seasons got away from the exploration elements. But I remember the first season had a lot more. Here's an area you can kind of walk around in and, like, look around and, like, pick up items. And not so yeah. much, like, the com- com- item combinations and puzzle solving, but at least a little bit of interact with your environment and kind of see what's there.
1: Yeah, explore the environment. Uh, some... I think a lot of those sort of point-click things turned into quick-time events. The dialogue options are still there, which I think Firewatch was, like, a really good Mm -hmm. evolution of that whole format. Um, Yeah, because there was, like, contextual dialogue options that you had a timer and you didn't have to answer. It still goes through, and they did so many great things with that game, which in terms of, like, a cinematic storytelling without cutting away or showing characters, um, foreshadowing, and...
0: It was also all, funnily all right. kind of the exact opposite of what you were talking about earlier, where you yeah. know we're not just cutting to where Henry's going, but we are watching right. him walk the entire way there. But that's yeah. interesting yeah. because of that's the conversations interesting he's having as he goes.
1: Also, the world's beautiful. The lighting yeah. changes, like uh, the the design of the set. Um, I mean, the, the, the walking... It's weird. It's like a walkie-talkie game, right? You have literal walkie-talkie, but like a game where walking is like there's a there's a reward for walking because you're having these conversations while you're doing it. Yeah. And there's like a there's like a uh, exposition that's happening. Um interactive exposition, I guess so those conversation that's happening as, as you're walking through. Yeah. Um we're jumping all over the place.
0: No, Tim Schaefer if you're listening, please make <laughs> full throttle two in the style of Firewatch. Thank you.
1: There you go. Uh, only
0: with cool motorcycle sequences. I don't know.
1: We need more we need more biker games. That's really more. cool. We do
0: need more biker we need any biker
1: yeah, I actually, I would like to see other themes explored that we haven't. Like, there's, you know, I feel like uh, the indie space. There's more. There's more sure. going on. And I, I think. I mean, I I obviously know why. Because when you're making a whatever hundred million dollar game, yeah,
0: you
1: gotta trying to approach as many people as possible. But that also means yeah. like,
0: and if you have some... that, if you have that money to begin with, you have to you know have a good value proposition for the people who are giving you the money in the first place. And so they're gonna want you to stick to the things that they know work.
1: Yeah, and I'm really grateful that Sushima got made because it's about a small island in Japan, yeah, you know, yeah. like feudal feudal uh, Japan. And um, I know the team is smaller than your typical um, AAA team, too. And I thought they did a great job. I think the scale of it also was a little smaller. So in terms of number of hours was better for my sort of liking, too. <laughs> I can't play. I say this, but I, I put 300 hours into Animal Crossing, but I typically don't put in. I
0: put in 400. You're in good company.
1: Yeah. But yeah.
0: I, I, yeah, I don't. I don't either. I I play shorter games.
1: Yeah, I like making shorter games. So hopefully, our next one people will like too, and finish, and see all the cool stuff. Experience all the cool stuff.
0: So full throttle 2 in the style of Firewatch. No more than ten hours. Thank you, Tim Paper. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, This has been the Game Developers Playlist. Uh, We'll be coming out with a new episode once a month, which you will be able to listen to on all good podcasting platforms alongside our weekly news show with the rest of the GamesIndustry.biz team and a second monthly podcast from my colleague James Batchelor where he interviews industry figures about five of their milestone games. Uh, once you find us on a good podcasting platform, consider subscribing so it'll let you know whenever another episode appears, and you can and should get your daily dose of news and insight into the world behind games at gamesindustry.biz. Thanks to Julian Villarreal for the music that you heard throughout this episode, and thanks so much to Eka for joining me today. Eka, tell me, where can people find you in your games?
1: Um, we're at outerloopgames.com, um, and on Twitter, outerloopgames, or at Ekanaut, E-K-A-N-A-U-T on Twitter.
0: Uh go follow him go follow Outer Loop go play some good games and have a great week everyone